Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Baby. Now back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Baby. We took a trip, now we on your block, and it's like a ghost town. Baby. Where did these be at when they said they're going? Back in on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. It's time to bring on my guy every single Tuesday. It's, it's customary. You have to bring him on. That would be Christian Fowler. Senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We have a podcast called the On the Bluff Pod. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, full-length video version on YouTube. He is on X at C Fowler BCM. Christian, how's it going, brother? Everything's wonderful, Gabe Coon. How are you doing? I am doing well. I uh, I enjoyed recording last night, and I also enjoyed while you know, sort of before we went on, we got to see. Uh, Tennessee versus Memphis women's basketball went to overtime. Little thriller, eighty-four seventy-four in overtime. Alex Simmons has them going in the right direction. Don't usually give women's basketball a whole lot of love, but that was fun to watch last night. Yeah, I mean, we got to check out the the tail end of it before we started recording, and it's a good sign. I mean, obviously they didn't pull out the win, but right. to take the number fifteen team in the country to overtime, play competitive, is definitely a good sign for Alex Simmons and the women's basketball program. Now, I want to see that game be played on the men's side, too. Yeah, that's that's that. I think that's where I'm at. It's always depressing. Cool. It's always depressing to think about what, what, uh, what has transpired in the past with the bald fist game and the, you know, COVID canceling the game in Nashville. That's, it's just, I, I think we need to let bygones be bygones. It should be an every year thing. Yeah, coaches may not be the biggest fans of each other. <laughs> we know well I mean I get the sense that Penny is willing to let it go as far as uh sort of the the past is concerned to go play that game I don't know if Rick Barnes is on that same page and I like I will say this I I do get the sense that like Tennessee there's no there's no massive upside to playing Memphis in the non-con right I mean I I guess not but it's for the fans it's for the consumer it would be for the for the fan bases Right. It's all about the fan bases and the rivalry. It's not about does it make sense for non-conference for Tennessee or, you know, the beef in the past between the coaches. I, who cares about any of that? It's for the fans and right. for the for the state, just for the overall state uh, of Tennessee and the, the two basketball programs. So I, I'm I'm in the same boat with you. They should do it every year, but here we are. Well, Tiger basketball stood uh, stood on business. When it when it comes to uh, non con, their first game against Mizzou, seventy to fifty five. That second half was phenomenal, man. Like that is 
that is exactly what we want to see out of this team. The defensive upside matched the offensive upside, and they took off on a team who was had a sold-out crowd in an SEC environment and just left no doubt. Like that, I, I, I'm not saying it's the best win of the Penny Hardaway era, but it is the most intriguing win in the fact that it's early in the season and you're handling business that you said you were going to handle. And, and, it, and it, definitely, it definitely leads a lot of the fan base, us, to believe that this team can accomplish the things that Penny, that basically every player on the roster think they can accomplish. Yeah, and I want to start just by talking about the odds were kind of stacked against Memphis in this scenario, truthfully. Right. I believe that Memphis is the better and more talented team. Obviously, they showed that on Friday night, but they're going into a very hostile environment. It was a huge weekend for Missouri sports overall. They had uh, Tennessee coming to town for a 13-14 matchup. They had Holy, and by the way, good Lord, sidebar, time. sidebar, they beat the hell out of them. Mizzou beat the hell yeah, out of Tennessee. Yeah, they, they mopped the floor with Tennessee on the football side. So, like, you knew the fan base was going to be riled up because when it when it's a situation like that, when it's a huge weekend like that, like, you can kind of feel the electricity, and I'm sure that's how it was in Columbia over the weekend. So, you're coming into a hostile environment, uh, very inexperienced team as far as playing minutes on the floor together. They had one true game that meant something under their belts playing a quality top 60 opponent, SEC opponent, and they come out. First half wasn't perfect. No. Second half was dang near perfect. Win the game by 15, hold Missouri to 19% from the floor. Really, just overall, both ends of the floor, offensively, defensively, your star players played like star players. Javon Quinterly showed exactly why he is Memphis's point guard this year, why Penny Hardaway and the staff went out and got him as their point guard. Jordan Brown looked much better in this in this game. Jaquan Walton showed that once again, and, and I know this may sound a little overblown and could sound a little hyperbolic, but I don't believe it is. I think he is one of the most efficient scorers in the country, and I know numbers back it up, and I know sometimes we can get lost in numbers, but you just watch what Jaquan Walton does and the ability that he has to score from any level and the lack of volume that he has to have to do it right. is extremely impressive. So overall, Memphis passed this test with flying colors, and this is a huge win for them. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think it's the biggest win of the Penny Hardaway era. We've seen wins over Houston. We've seen the win over Tennessee. Like We've seen some big wins under Penny Hardaway, but as far as just like early season games that give you confidence, and that goes from the coaching staff to the team to the media to the fan base. Like, this is a win that instills confidence in the entire program right. from the outside in. And that's that's something I'm not sure if we've really seen before. I know the, the Tennessee game was, what, maybe mid to late December when they knocked off mm -hmm. Tennessee. Um, but as far as, like, first three or four games, obviously this being the second game of the year, like, I just don't think we've seen Without this. Penny Hardaway and on the sideline, everything else. Yeah, I mean, it, right. Now, yeah, <laughs> that's not even to mention Pen Penny's not right. even out there. So just overall, this was extremely impressive top-to-bottom win for Memphis. And very encouraging. I, uh, I So the conversation that comes up every single year with Penny and, and a team that he's coaching is pecking order. And I, I saw first game – I think Jaquan Walton and David Jones, especially on the offensive end, were at the at the top of that pecking order. First half was Jaquan Jaquan Walton, 
against Jackson State. Second half was David Jones. This game against Mizzou, a guy who had a whole lot of experience playing at Mizzou, being in the SEC for a few years at Alabama, it was Javon Quinterly. I know that it is a recurring question, a recurring theme with every Penny Hardaway coach team. Do they have an established pecking order? But I, 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 I want to ask this. With this particular set of circumstances, with the amount of talent they have, do you think it matters as much as past years? Because everyone wants to discuss that, but I'm almost ready, just looking at the amount of talent they have top to bottom, I'm almost ready to throw that conversation out of the window. I feel like any given night you could have a different pecking order depending on who's hot and who's not. I couldn't agree more with that. And I think I think the reason that is a conversation is because of the frustration of years past, which I get, and I think you would agree as well. Like We've seen some pretty frustrating lineup changes and rotations. And it's been like there was clearly a player that needed to be on the floor in a specific situation, and maybe it just didn't happen at times. And I'm with you on this team. They're so deep. They're so talented that it really is kind of a hot hand feel. Now, you have your cornerstone players, of course. But the way that I think you can use them and kind of weave them together in different ways is much different than in years past because we've talked about this, especially over the last couple weeks. Like in years past, there were players that could be injected or taken out of the lineup that affected the overall unit and just brought just brought the team down. Whether it was a, it, in most cases, it was a lack of offense when when players subbed in or when different players came in. And with this team, I just don't see that. I think they are so well rounded on both ends of the floor. I think they have so many guys that can score. 15 plus on any given night like I'm with you I I think they are I think a pecking order and a conversation surrounding that about how important it is this is I'm with you I don't think it should be a conversation but if if it is this is the least important important a pecking order or a certain group of guys on the floor at the same time has been under Penny Hardaway now that leads me to the uh, starting lineup conversation because Jordan Brown has not been inserted into it neither is Caleb Mills although they play a lot of minutes and we look at uh, the game against Mizzou, the top five, I mean, of what we thought was going to start, Javon Quinterly, Jaquan Walton, David Jones, Jordan Brown, Caleb Mills, got the most minutes, and they also led the team in scoring. Those were the top five scorers. Do you think there's any point? Like, I, there's two different thoughts here. Like, don't mess with success. Let it roll. Whoever you want to roll out there in the starting lineup, whoever you want to use as far as rotation is concerned, that's fine. You, you've, you've had success through two games. The other thought is, okay, get your most productive guys on the floor at the same time to start the game. Like, where where do you fall on that? I think I think I could make an argument either way, honestly. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, if those five guys are playing the majority of the minutes and they're on the floor together in crunch time or in important moments like they were for the majority of the second half against Missouri, then I, I really don't have too many complaints about it. Now, if, if we get six, seven games down the road, or if we get to the battle for Atlantis and it costs Memphis a game because they started extremely slow because they didn't have Caleb Mills and Jordan Brown at their start a game and they dig themselves in a hole. Yeah, then the conversation becomes completely different. Then then that conversation really starts to heat up. But as far as nitpicking who technically gets the start, to me it doesn't really matter that much as long as those five guys are playing the most minutes as long as they're on the floor together for uh, whatever that amount of minutes stretch time is that you want to say is the golden number or whatever as long as they're on the floor together when it matters 
it, 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 to me, the optics of it aren't super important. But if it does cause either a loss or a very stressful situation when it didn't need to be, then that conversation definitely can heat up. Now on to uh, Memphis football, 8-2 and two right now, have SMU, 11 a.m. ESPN2 coming up this weekend, final home game of the year. Uh, I, I think it's fun. Uh, first of all, I mean, I, I, I am of the opinion, before we really break down the game and what has transpired, as, as ugly as it has been in these wins against inferior opponents, right, I think this team has earned the platform at home against SMU. Biggest game since the, the last time uh, we had SMU in town fighting for an AAC championship berth, that whole thing. I think this team has, has definitely earned some eyes and, and earned the attention of the fan base. Uh, regardless of, of what you think has transpired on the field. They have won ball games. Um, I know it was ugly against Charlotte, 44-38 in overtime against a really bad team, a team that couldn't throw the ball, a team that threw four interceptions. But at the same time, 8-2 and two is 8-2 and two with a chance to potentially play into the AAC championship. I think that that is something we're celebrating. Yeah, I mean, we definitely can sit here and pick apart all. Oh, the and we will, and, and we stuff. will, Christian. Trust yes, me, we yes, will. We, we 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 will get there. But to start it off, a win is a win is a win. And, and at the end of the day, they sit at eight and two. They've taken care of business, no matter how ugly it has been, especially over the last three weeks. But they've won the games, and that's that's the important part of it. Have they earned any style points? Absolutely not. Hell no. They have not made it look pretty. They. <laughs> They could have rolled through South Florida and Charlotte and North Texas. They did not do that. They did not inspire any confidence as far as them going to another conference championship game or them being able to beat SMU. But I'll pose it to you like this. Memphis could have blasted. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. All three of those teams over the last three weeks and lost to SMU. Yep. And it would have kind of it would have kind of felt empty. Okay, they've played those games very close, and they've made them super sketchy. They go beat SMU even after this stretch. Then all is kind of forgotten, at least for a moment. So it, it doesn't really matter. 
like I said, does it inspire confidence that they will do it? No. Not necessarily. But is it on the table? Is it a possibility? Do they still have to go out there and play the game and see how the ball bounces? Yes, absolutely. So they've taken care of business. It hasn't been pretty, but the opportunity is in front of them. And at this point in the season, being 8-2 and two, with a potential AAC championship berth on the line, like you really can't ask for much more. Like, uh, And I'm not saying there aren't negatives. That let's – Let's continue to keep that in there because there absolutely is. But you're eight and two. You have a chance to compete for the conference, and that was the goal. Um, now the last three games, let's get to them. North Texas, they gave up 42 points defensively. South Florida, 50 points defensively against one of the worst teams in uh, college football as far as offense is concerned. Charlotte, they gave up 38 points, 198 yards to a, a running back in Hassan Wilson who had four career yards up to that point. Hadn't run the ball this year. 198 yards and three touchdowns. Now, I think that these three games defensively, their woes have all been in different fashions, right? Against North Texas, you do have a good passing offense, so you saw you, you thought it could be possible. Chandler Rogers is a really good quarterback, but you had guys in position in the secondary who couldn't make plays on the ball. Then you get to the South Florida game, they give up 50 points, and it wasn't guys in good position, not making plays in the ball. It was guys out of position completely, busting coverage after coverage and, and letting Byron Brown, a, a freshman quarterback, throw all over them. And then against Charlotte, it was largely power running, play action to the flat to the tight end, and that was that was moving Charlotte's offense. I what what do you sort of attribute to the struggles they've had defensively? Like is it scheme is it players not being locked in? Is it missed tackle? Like, what? Like, can you? Because I've had struggles with this, and I know we've both had struggles with this the past three weeks, but is there anything in particular that you just sort of point at and say that has been the big problem with this Memphis defense and why they have fallen off a cliff down the stretch of the season? If, if it's anything that I can point to, because like you said, you and I both have struggled with finding something to say, okay, here is concrete evidence that they're struggling in this area or with this or with this scheme or with this kind of offense. But the fact that you mentioned that it's been passing game and running game, because I would say at least for the two previous weeks to this week, we would have said, okay, at least the run defense wasn't horrible. Yeah. Yes, they got thrown all over, but the run defense wasn't awful. Well, uh, this week, as you mentioned, 198 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, the defense got four interceptions, and Charlotte really couldn't throw the ball, but they couldn't stop the run. And they couldn't stop pretty basic schematic runs, and that is extremely concerning. So if I can put my finger on one thing and say I think this is definitely affecting it, and there's got to be stuff behind this that we don't necessarily know about or definitely can't figure out. But if you go back to, like, the Boise State game and even even the Tulane game, which, I, you know, I know the defense didn't play great and they ultimately lost that game, but at least it felt like the defense was flying around and making plays. And you go back even earlier to the beginning of the season, they were really flying around. Now they just kind of look timid. Like, they just yep. look completely out of sorts and, like, I, I don't know. You know this as a as a former player. Like, if you're thinking while you're playing, you're probably not playing very well. It, yep. it, it, a lot of it has to be natural and instinct and preparation, and they just look like they're thinking too much out there, and they're not just reacting and playing football. And that gets you into trouble everywhere, whether it is, you know, coverage bust or tackling or taking wrong angles or 
say if you're a linebacker or a defensive lineman and you're thinking about taking on the block and making the tackle and you're not just reading and reacting and playing, then that causes you to play slow and be a step behind. And that's what we've seen the last three weeks. They've just been slow and a step behind, mm. whether it's in the passing game or the running game. So to me, that's the only that's the only evidence I can give a little bit of this is where some struggles are coming from. But who knows why that happened? Because this is a defense that was playing with confidence early in the year, albeit against inferior opponents. But, hey, Charlotte is an inferior opponent as well. As you mentioned, 16 points per game, one of the worst offenses in the country, one of the worst overall teams in the country, and they couldn't stop them. So they're back to playing inferior teams, but the defense didn't didn't go back to the early season mode. So it, it is very confusing and frustrating but if they're going to find a way to knock off SMU and compete for a championship game berth, the defense at least has to fly around, make some plays. For be some opportunistic. Turnovers. Yep. Yeah, they can't just be a limp noodle out there yep. or it is a wrap. Um, now, you brought up a very interesting point uh, when I was talking to you last night. You, you basically said – because we knew that this four-game stretch with three on the road, UAB, North Texas, and Charlotte, it was BYOE. Bring your own energy because it's just there's not a lot of of hype around those games. The the you know fan participation at those particular places is not going to be high. You brought up the point that you know if they do play well against SMU defensively, we may have a different issue altogether, and that's that they want to play up to competition and play down to competition. Now that is not uncommon. Like I had a team, you know, 2014 or 2015, I should say. When, when when we beat Ole Miss at home, that defense was dreadful that year, but really stood up against Ole Miss. It was locked in, only gave up 24 points. We won 37-24. to 24. Um, So it's not uncommon. But if they do come out and have a good sort of week against SMU defensively, you, you talked about it maybe being a different issue, that they, they get hyped up for big games and against teams that, they, that are inferior, they're sort of, they're sort of stagnant, um, not bringing energy. And that, that's a completely different problem, and I don't think that that is a problem that, that will lead you to believe that going even into the future that this would be a team that, that uh, can win at a high level. Like, I, I thought that was an interesting point you made. I mean, yeah, yeah, 100%. And with this game coming up, with this SMU game, you would imagine – this is – not imagine, you would know 100%. This is the most energy – as far as the atmosphere that they're going to play, that, that they have played in, in in quite a few weeks. Even though they had the South Florida game at home, it was South Florida game. Like, it wasn't a game where you're going to get much hype. So, with all that being said, I'm not going to be surprised either way with how this defense plays. Like, that's just where I'm at right now. If they come out and Preston Stone slings it all over the yard, it's and expected, SMU right? easily, easily clears 40 points or 50 points or whatever, I will not be surprised if Memphis's defense comes out and they look inspired and they're creating negative plays, whether it's sacks or tackles for loss or, uh, you know, forcing pre-snap penalties or forcing turnovers. And they actually look pretty decent, maybe allow, you know, 20, 28, 30 points, something like that, which doesn't sound great, but in, in where we're at right now, 28 <laughs> yeah, points would be a welcome real. sign. I wouldn't be surprised by that either. Like that that's just where I'm at with this defense because we've seen the good, we've seen the bad. So we know they can play good. There's there's no debating that they can at least look decent. But there's also no debating that they can get shredded by one of the worst offenses in the country. So 
I have no idea how this is going to play out, but I won't be surprised either way. I, I think, I think in this kind of environment and this kind of atmosphere, with what's on the line, it would be hard not to get up for this game. Yep. Now you throw it to a one o'clock kick against Charlotte on the road. I can see how that's difficult to get up for. This game, I don't think they'll have any problem with. And I think if they do that, maybe they'll play a little bit better defensively. Mm-hmm. Even furthering my concern, though, is that if they do end up beating SMU, <laughs> this defense feels like they would go to Lincoln Financial Field the following week and allow a terrible team to put up a ton of points. Right. Now, I know that's getting way ahead of ourselves, but it's on the table at this point. Yeah. And then that's a totally different conversation, but that's just where I'm at. Like, it, the, nothing that this defense does is going to surprise me, short of them coming out and, like, clamping SMU down completely, completely stoning them like, yes. two touchdowns yeah, yeah but then the, but then that, again but even with that the point still remains like if they do that where was that the last three weeks against way is so way inferior opponents I mean so right. just not even close to SMU's level right no rhyme or reason to it just and, and what we used kind of for an example on this on the podcast last night was the Missouri and Tulane game. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. They still allow big plays in those games. But those, I mean, Missouri They played substantially the, better ball. I don't think anyone would deny yeah. that. No, Missouri's one of the best teams in the country, and they held them to, what was it? Was it 34 points? 34, 34. And, 34, they, and I thought and they then, played largely well against the run, the leading rusher in the uh, the uh, SEC right now, Cody Schrader. They played well against him until the fourth quarter. Then they started to, you know... Mizzou imposed their will a little bit, made them uncomfortable. Right. And Tulane, they played really, really good defensively in the first half. So they've done it against way better competition than Charlotte and South Florida and North Texas. So there there is no rhyme or reason. This defense makes no sense. There's no figuring them out. All right. Now, last thing, I have to move to the NFL. What the hell is wrong with the Bills, brother? I know you watched that game last night. Five and five. We have uh, Ken Dorsey getting fired. And I, I, you know what? I, I can I say this? I get tired of analytics folks talking about EPA per play and how good the Bills have been under uh, Ken Dorsey with EPA per play. I think that that is a a good reason to throw that stat out. The fact that they're five and five and they're top three in EPA per play. But regardless, right. what the hell is wrong with? I mean, Josh Allen turns the ball over at a crazy rate. That team has no business being in the position they're in right now. Right, and let's look at the game last night. Like, if you go look at what happened against the Broncos, the Broncos controlled the clock for the majority of the game. They forced turnovers. They didn't necessarily capitalize on them, which is why they were in the position late in the game that they were. But they outplayed the Bills through the entire game. Despite all of that, it was still another Buffalo mistake that allowed the Broncos to win that game. Twelve men on the field will, and a whistle yeah, kick, on, will, on, on, will, on a, on a uh, emergency, whatever you call it, fire drill kick. It's ridiculous. Right. Like 24 seconds left, no timeouts. The Broncos knew they were going to have to rush on the field. The Bills knew the same. They, they knew what the, what the situation was. They had no- We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Timeout. So as soon as that third down snap was over, both special teams units were going to rush onto the field and get set. And they get on the field. Will Lutz misses the kick wide right. 12 men on the field. Yep. You can't do that. <laughs> no, you, just you can't. can't. You can't do that. And here's the thing you that I put out there yards. last night because I've been like whistle kick is what they call it in college football. And we always practiced it at our at our uh, sort of uh, pregame walkthroughs and everything else. Um, that field goal is going up no matter what. They don't have a timeout. Yeah. They uh, you could have nine people on the field and it wouldn't make a difference. That that kick is going to go no. up. I know you want to get a field goal block out there, but it's really hard to get that done to get your unit out there and, and, and clicking on all cylinders when it's that quick of a turnaround. I just that is a that is one of the worst gaffes I've seen of the NFL season. Like that is as bad as it gets. Yeah, that that's that's a mistake you just don't see because special teams coaches typically are very, very good about their personnel and their situations. And to have twelve men on the field and one of those guys being Terrell Bernard who's off the ball. Yep. And, and and that's just going back to what you said about it doesn't matter. Odds are you're not going to block the kick. It's very rare to block a field goal. But to have 12 men on the field, one guy off the ball, Ugh. kick misses, and then they get to, he gets to kick it again, it's terrible. And I, I want to hit on what you said about the EPA per play and stuff because I think it's very interesting. And I know analytics are a big part of the game now. But what analytics can't tell you is if you watch the Buffalo Bills play football, they are not averse to taking risks. They're going to take a lot of risks. Yeah. They're going to throw the ball a lot. They are not any sort of methodical team that is going to rely on the run game, although they've been one of the best running teams in the league this year when it comes to yards per carry. James Cook's been really, really good in a featured role. Latavius Murray's been a, a solid at least, you know, short, short yardage and goal line back. They've ran the ball really well. But Ken Dorsey just refuses to run the ball. He won't mm-hmm. run the ball. Yep. And what that does to your defense as far as limiting time of possession and keeping your defense on the field more, just from not running the ball, not considering the fact that you're throwing the ball so much, so turnovers are, are going to be more prevalent, incomplete passes and clock stoppages are going to be more prevalent, you're doing your defense no favors. And in years past, they've been able to mask that because they've had the dogs to do it on the defensive side of the ball. And not to say they came into the year devoid of talent on the defensive side of the ball, but when you lose Tredavious White to a season in an injury, when you lose Matt Milano to a season in an yep. injury, maybe it's time to revamp the offense a little bit to help your defense out. Because you even still, I think, uh, I think their safeties, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, I think both of them have missed time as well this year. Uh, they've, they've just been ransacked by injuries on the defensive side of the ball, and Ken Dorsey has done nothing to help them out. He's exacerbated the situation and allowed teams to go even further after their weaknesses on defense because he refuses to try to keep his offense on the field and control clock. Yeah, and largely I think they're a predictable offense. And I'm not saying Ken Dorsey shouldn't have been fired. He probably should have been fired. I still think that Josh Allen, some of the turnover issues, I don't know if uh, – our guy over uh, with the Giants, Brian Dayball. I don't know if he had enough time with Josh Allen to make sure he could rid him of all of all of the the ills because he's always trusted his arm talent far too much, and he is turnover prone no matter what, even when he was with Brian Dayball. But I do stand by that. I think Brian Dayball left a little bit too early, and I think that's hindered Josh Allen's sort of uh, progression 
um, into the, the – I mean, he's, he's a superstar. He's elite. But it's, it's hindered his progression as a Super Bowl champion-type quarterback, right? I think that that has limited that team offensively. But I'll say this. Ken Dorsey getting fired. I, I am wondering, you know, that is somewhat scapegoaty, somewhat understood, and it looks like Joe Brady's going to take over. But Which is they're going to run out. But days. here's my thing. They're going to run out of scapegoats, and I wonder if at the end this, this comes down to Sean McDermott. Can you get the job done? Can you? I mean, you, you, there's changes they have had to make over the years. Run the ball more. Take a little bit off of Josh Allen's plate. Make sure that defense built for, is built for the playoffs. Play with a little bit of edge so you don't get run over, bowled over by the Cincinnati Bengals in the snow at your own place like you did last year. They haven't made those changes. Yeah. And I wonder if at some point that comes down to Sean McDermott losing his job. Yeah, I want to I want to touch on Joe Brady first, and then talk about Sean McDermott a little bit. Joe Brady is known to be a scapegoat. He was Matt Rule's scapegoat in Carolina, if you recall. But before that, Joe Brady was looked at as one of the up and comers, up and coming, yeah. innovative offensive minds in all of football because of LSU. He was at LSU in 2019 with that incredible national championship team. And he had to go be an offensive coordinator for the, the Panthers, who were completely devoid of offensive talent outside of Christian McCaffrey. And so I'm kind of cautiously optimistic to see what he does. Now, I know he doesn't have a full offseason of preparation. It's hard to change a lot of things at this point in the year. But just as far as rhythm and play calling and how he puts his fingerprint on this offense, I'm kind of excited to see because we saw we saw the Ken Dorsey experiment. It, it hasn't been great. Uh, he obviously is not as good as uh, Brian Dayball was at developing and helping Josh Allen. So I'm very curious to see what Joe Brady does. But as far as Sean McDermott, you and I have talked about this in the past. Defensive-minded head coaches are getting closer and closer to being a thing of the past. Right. And that's not to say that there aren't exceptions to that. D'Amico Ryans is, is absolutely showing that in Houston right now. Yeah, Mike but Tomlin for a long time. Right, but even him, his offense had over 400 yards. Still 6-3, and three, though, <laughs> right? Still 6-3. Right, and three. right. But, but you look at Bill Belichick, even Bill Belichick right. is catching up to him. Like, defensive-minded head coaches just are not really the wave anymore. Like, it just it, it, It's just hard to be a defensive-minded head coach and have success in this modern-day NFL and I saw this tweet the other day. It said the Bills peaked with 13 seconds left in the divisional round in 2021. And I think that is one of the more accurate NFL tweets I've seen this year. It's hard to see them getting back to that point that they were. Because we can't do football math and we don't know. But in my opinion, if the Bills ultimately would have won that game against the Chiefs, I think they would have won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I think they would have beat the Bengals. And I don't think the Rams could have touched them. Even though I know the Rams got hot, I, I think the Bills had the guys up front to stop Aaron Donald in that defense, and that was the Bills' opportunity right there. And that was two years ago. And here we are. They sit at 5-5 five and five outside looking in on the playoffs, and who knows what happens the rest of the year for them. Yeah, it's about windows, and, and windows close pretty quickly. And we'll see if the Bills can rebound, but it's going to be interesting to watch. Now, I, I do want to I do want to leave you with this because you brought up D'Amico Ryan's yeah, D'Amico Ryans, and it sort of furthers your point about defensive coaches maybe being a thing of the past. D'Amico Ryans is a good coach, and I'll give him credit for that. But ultimately, what have we seen from that team? Why are they having success? C.J. Stroud is phenomenal, and Bobby Slowick, his O.C., young guy, is 
setting the league on fire, and he'll likely get it, be able to be part of the coaching carousel this time around with some of these openings that inevitably come at the end of the NFL season. So, yeah, D'Amico Ryans has been phenomenal as a head coach and leading, that, leading the charge with that entire organization. But at the same time, the offense has paced the way for that team. It has, they're not a defensive team at this point in the season. As much as I like D'Amico Ryans, that, that's the truth of the matter right now and why the Texans are having success. It's C.J. Stroud and Bobby Slowick and that brain trust they have. Right. I, and I will say for D'Amico Ryans and the defense, like it's been better than we expected. Right. Right, it's not but it's great. still, it's it, but it's perfect, still offensively but, is the reason they are beating yeah. a team like the Bengals, thirty to twenty-seven. Right? Yes, one hundred percent. I like I said though, that defense has been a little bit more impressive than I think most of us expected. But you're absolutely right. Like Bobby Slowick, where did he come from? San Francisco. Yep. He is another. He's another Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel guy. He worked with both of them. I think he's been. He was in San Francisco from what maybe 2018, 2019 until this year. So plenty of time to work under arguably the two best offensive minds in the NFL, maybe in all football, um, in Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan. And he's showing once again that in that offense and what you learn from those guys, if you carry it over, and I know they're not running the same exact system as Mike McDaniel is in Miami or the same exact system that Kyle Shanahan is in San Francisco, but you see the fingerprints on it. You see the long play actions. You see what happens. Really, you see what happened on Sunday when they finally get a semblance of the running game. Now, they got a huge semblance of it with Devin Singletary running for 150 yards. But it just it feels like another one of those things that, man, you, you know, Bobby Slowick deserves all the credit, but Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel know yep. what they're doing. And they no can question. really raise up some offensive minds. And you have to have the quarterback to do it, and C.J. Stroud has been nearly flawless as yep. a rookie. He's been phenomenal. Now, Christian, appreciate it, man. We'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. Talk to y'all next week. Yes, sir. That's Christian Fowler, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. Our podcast on the Bluff Pod. Get it at Apple, Spotify, full-length video version on YouTube. He is on X at C. Fowler BCM, so go and follow him. Now, we need to go ahead and get into the Blitz. And uh, there are reports today from on threes, you know, uh, Texas is on three arm inside Texas. The Quinn Ewers who was thought to be a first-round draft pick this year, he may stay for another year. What does that mean for Arch Manning? I'll tell you next, 92.9 FM ESPN. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. 
Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.